Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Canaan STL Podcast, brought to you by Canaan Baptist Church, where we exist to connect you to what matters most, to God, to people, and to purpose. Hey, this is Pastor Daniel, joined again today with Pastor Martin Winslow. And um, how are you doing today, Martin? Great. Ready to talk about some end time stuff, Yeah, Daniel. it's better than what we were just talking about. So <laughs> those, we were just talking about old man stuff, you know, yeah. like... Acid reflux and heartburn. Snoring. Snoring. (laughs) Hey, let's move on to a better topic. We're talking about eschatology again today. And, uh, you know, last week, uh, Martin, you you did a great job in just presenting the Amil post-mill view of the first resurrection. So just for a a brief recap, let's just go back and read Revelation 20. Yeah. So then we'll do like a, if you can go back and do a quick two to three minute summary of what you talked about last week, then I sure. will springboard into okay. the pre-mill view um, of the first resurrection. So let's do that. Mm-hmm. So let's look at Revelation 20 again. It's kind of a, a one of the many key texts, but this one is really the only text in the Bible that specifically mentions a thousand-year reign of Christ known as the millennium. So Revelation 20, uh, pick it up here in verse 1, says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. And then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. All right, so we read the first resurrection, saw it in there a couple of times. So just a quick recap, Martin, on the amillennial and postmillennial view of the first resurrection. Yeah, so the view is that um, the first resurrection refers to when people are born again. Um, last week we looked at John, the fifth chapter. I talked a little bit about John, same author who wrote the book of Revelation. And in John's gospel, Jesus talks about um, people who will hear the voice of the Son of Man and those who hear will live. They'll, they'll pass from death to life. And then he goes on a little bit later in John chapter five, and he says, there's a day coming in the future um, when all those uh, who are dead in the graves will hear the voice of the Son of Man, and those who hear will be resurrected. And he talks about their bodies, and some will be judged uh, to eternal condemnation, and some will receive heaven. So the second resurrection in the on post mill is actually a physical resurrection on the last day. First one is only for believers. The second one would be for both believers and unbelievers on the last day. So the first resurrection is spiritual only. Yeah, right. And then the second resurrection, which is never mentioned in, by name, it's never called the second resurrection, right? right? But right. but then the end would be yeah. the physical resurrection mm-hmm. of all humanity at the great white throne yeah. of judgment. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right, good. Well, thank you for that. So just moving into now the premillennial view. So the premillennial view, the you know, premillennialism, if you will, mm-hmm. really, um, it necessarily looks at two resurrections, mm-hmm. right? You have the first resurrection, which is 
the, both of the resurrections are physical. Mm-hmm. The first resurrection is for believers. The second resurrection for non-believers. So just a few things. So look back in my old yeah. seminary textbooks, you know. So um, Millard Erickson's Christian Theology, he says this. He says, um, premillennialists observe that here in Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 or 6, the evidence of the thousand-year period and two resurrections, one at the beginning and the other at the end. And so, you know, it's, it's just true. If you just take a normal reading of this, it does read like that there's um, these these people that had not taken the mark of the beast, hadn't worshipped the beast, hadn't received the mark on their heads or their hands, that they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That would be after they were martyred, is the way it, it reads in the order of that sentence. Then the rest didn't come to life until the thousand years were ended. So there's like the coming to life of those that did not receive the mark of the beast. And again... Premillennial says that's a physical resurrection. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And then there's more coming to life after the res- after the millennium of those of the rest, meaning those who aren't believers, mm-hmm. right? So, all right. So, see that the two um, the two resurrections. Um, so, in a dis- in a in a premillennial view, not only are there two resurrections, there's also different judgments, mm-hmm. right? So really three different judgments, some premillennials hold there's three different judgments. You have the judgment of the nations, right? That's kind of the view at right at the millennium when Christ returns, that's the sheep and the goats, right? Then you have the, the Bema seat judgment of Christ. That's for believers. You know, mm-hmm. you talked about that last week. Yeah. Um, and that diff, premillennials have different views on when that happens. Mm-hmm. Some would say that happens at the return of Christ as well. Some say it happens whenever we die individually. We, mm-hmm. You know, like Hebrews, this point of man wants to die, and then the judgment. Mm-hmm. That would be that Bema Seat judgment. So there is some disagreement in the mm-hmm. pre-mill camp on when that Bema Seat judgment happens. But then you have the great white throne judgment, which is the judgment of um, the unsaved, the unregenerate, right? right? And that those are all... The, that those those are both physical um, resurrections, and those three mm-hmm. judgments happen. Um, so, just a few passages: Luke chapter fourteen, verses one through fourteen. In this passage, Jesus is invited to dine in the house of one of the chief Pharisees, uh, and it was the Sabbath, so Pharisees watch to see if he would heal someone or try to catch him in that. And he did heal the guy, and his audience started arguing whether or not it was lawful. And then he asked them. Which any of them would leave their donkey? Some texts use the word "son" here, but if they let, if it fell in the pit, would they, you know, rescue it on the Sabbath? Then he focused on the mill itself. Noticed that they were striving for the best places, and then finally, he spoke to a man who provided the lavish meal and instructed him to provide free dinners for those who were poor and handicapped. And if the man would do this, Jesus said he would be blessed because the poor could not return the favor, and thus he would be quote. He would be compensated or rewarded at the resurrection of the just. So two things are noted here. First, the resurrection of the just implies a distinction between this resurrection and that of the unjust. And second, Jesus is connecting the resurrection of the just with the reward that would be given, thus judgment. Right. So it's connected there. And then Revelation 20, we read that. So just, just a few thoughts on this. We already read the verse, so I'm not going to read that again. But several things can be seen here, three things. First, in verse 4, it says, Certain people are said to live with Christ for a thousand years. These people include, according to verse 6, all who have part in the first resurrection. 
So there's at least one resurrection, a resurrection of believers prior to the 1,000-year rule of Jesus Christ. I know your argument is that that's spiritual, uh, pre-mill view, and, and my view is argument that that is physical. It's underscored in verse 5 where we read, the rest of the dead live not again until the 1,000 years were finished. So there's distinct two definite different resurrections there. We agree on that. Second, the people who have a part in the first resurrection not only live with Christ for a thousand years, but they also reign with him, right? It says they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Verse four, they'll be priests of God in Christ, will reign in a thousand years. And so in tying that to the third point, I saw the thrones, they that set upon them in judgment. In order for them to have thrones and be given the right to judge, they would have already had to have been judged and deemed worthy to do that. So it implies before they could do that, they had to be judged, right? And so that resurrection and reigning requires being judged and rewarded. Otherwise, these people have no basis for sitting on the thrones and executing any kind of judgment. So it would have had to have been another time of of resurrection and judgment that happened subsequently or previous to this, this moment. Um, and so, um, just some other thoughts here. Um, sometimes, you know, you, you make the, you make the case, and I've heard this said that amillennialism or postmillennialism is a stronger systematic case, whereas premillennialism is a stronger exegetical case. I don't know if you've ever read that, but I've, I've encountered that, that phrase several times just in the last week reading from, you know, different points of view. But and I think there's there's some truth in that. But but three things, three clues that I want to talk about toward a premillennial view um, that has it. Well, two of which have to do with this resurrection issue. That's resurrection of martyrs and martyrs reigning with Christ. So on the amillennial reading, right? Um, you know, you talked about binding a few weeks ago. Since the time of Christ's earthly ministry, Satan's influence on earth has been significantly restrained such that he can no longer prevent the spread of the gospel throughout the world. At death, secondly, Christian martyrs are brought immediately into the presence of God in heaven, also known as the, you know, the intermediate state or whatever. Uh, and then um, the, in the first resurrection is a spiritual birth and that the martyrs currently reign with Christ in heaven. So, to contrast that, just to be clear, we're saying pre-mill says sec- the, the resurrection of the martyrs refers to the physical and bodily resurrection and martyrs reigning with Christ refers to a future earthly reign, not a present heavenly reign. Um, so the language of, of this is of this Revelation 20. I mean, we talked about this a little bit, I think, last week, but um, just the we come to come to life, you know, it's the Greek form, of the Greek word Zoe, 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 mm-hmm. is that right? Zoe life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which just means life. It's not, it's not the word for resurrection, but it's just the word for life, you know, and it's the same word used in John chapter five that you referenced um, earlier on. And we can go look at that here in a second. Um, but, you know, for, so the, the, this resurrection that is, that is spiritual, right? Um, the first resurrection, you say, refers to the spiritual rebirth, faces the problem that this resurrection is described as taking place after the believers have already been martyred. That's the way I read it in Revelation 20, right? So looks like they were martyred, and then they're resurrected. Yeah. Do you, do you want me to 
Well, you do you want to keep? Do you want to keep going, or do you want me to you wait? You go ahead and address that. So that's what it reads like. Yeah. So you know? you're talking about verse four. So verse let's four, let's yeah. read verse four real quick. Then I saw thrones and people seated on them who were given authority to judge, and I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus, and because of the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Yeah. Now, here's how I understand that, is that when anybody is martyred or anybody dies— who is in Christ, there immediately they pass from death to life. That's the first resurrection. Well, wait does, a does that make sense? No, that's not. That doesn't agree with what you've already said, though. You they, said that they, the first resurrection is when they're born again. Yeah, they're born again. Okay, but the reality of that, the realization of that, is when they pass from this life to the next. Woo. Okay. Does, does that make sense? That's that's when you take hold of it. That's when you take hold of it. Like this, for instance, like. If you look at Jesus' words, this is how I get this, um, in John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Sure. So, when the martyrs die, right, the realization, the, the reality of that new life, okay, that whenever they were born again, they take hold of that, by spiritually being alive. And that can happen. So so here's the millennial view, right? The amillennial view or the post-mill view is this. That happens with us right now when we become born again. But also, if people are beheaded or killed for the sake of Christ, they're also reigning with Jesus right now during this millennium. Yeah, but that's a heavenly reign. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Heaven, but, but, but also at the simultaneous with the church. They're a part of the church. We're a part of the church. Who are they reigning over? They're reigning with Christ. Over, like, over what or who? His kingdom. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Like, he, he's the king, and so they reign with him, just like you and I are reigning with him right now. But how are they reigning over? Okay, that's right. We'll, yeah, I'm, I'm do not. You, do you get where I'm coming from? Do you understand of, I'm the just interpretation? Not with it. Yeah. Okay, Especially so when the somebody part about the resurrections that born again, but mm-hmm. it's not seized until people die. Well, the, but, the the realization of it, right? It's the already and the not yet. The realization of it is whenever they die and pass from death to to life. Like I thought, the already not yet was a pre meal phrase. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so so yeah, you know, you mentioned you mentioned, but John keep going. Five. Don't let me oh, don't no, let me good. throw no, you good. off. You're I good. just want to answer if you have a question or. Yeah. So, okay. All right. Well, and 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 let me ask you some questions too. Whenever you're ready, just get to the end of where you're going, though. Okay. So, all right. Well, I'm just going to keep going on this one on this uh, two resurrection deal. So, like, there's a a popular Amel guy named Anthony Hokema, Mm -hmm. right? And he said Scripture uh, mentions only a single resurrection, not two. It's kind of your 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 position, right? and he, and he actually oh, at, you mean at the end of time? Yes, yeah, yeah yep. the great white throne, right, right, and uh, the at, at the coming at the coming of yeah, Christ, all right, yeah, right. And then he goes to John five, which which you did, which mm-hmm. says, "Hours coming when all the tomb women, hours coming and now is mm-hmm. um, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live, mm-hmm. right." And you've applied that to the born again experience, right? Mm-hmm. He goes on and says. Um, uh, he has given them, let's say, uh, 
Yeah, verse 28, he says again, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Mm-hmm. Right? Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. Right. Those who have done evil to the resurrection of right. judgment. Right. All right. So the point that Hokema makes here is that according to this passage, both believers and unbelievers are said to be raised in the same hour. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Not with a thousand years in between. Right, exactly. Okay. Yeah, simultaneous. But the problem is, you know, again, hours also frequently used as a non-literal sense in apocalyptic texts. So it, it's the same spin you put on the thousand years. We can put on the hour, right? So, so the question, should we interpret the millennium in the view of the hour? Or should we interpret the hour in the view of the millennium? And which one's more clear? Right? That's kind of the question, right? All right. So... Um, and, and one final thing about this is it's a bigger it's a bigger argument, but it definitely pertains to resurrection is um, how Revelation 20, right? The way I read this, it is a continuation from Revelation 19, right? Um, so I got another commentary. Um, it's the New International Greek New Testament. You familiar with that series, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. There's a um, excuse me argument presented by the authors. That's name's Beale. But he says that he said that the basic idea that Revelation 19 and Revelation 20 are not to be taken in linear succession. He's an Amil, so mm. he's in your camp, sort of. Yep. Post me, I know, but a lot of similar same, arguments. There. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Um, says they're not to be taken in linear succession, but as a a kind of a cyclical repetition. Uh, in other words, Revelation 20 isn't simply picking up Revelation 19 left off, right. but it's kind of going back and retelling the entire history of the church. From its beginning in Christ's earthly ministry, the gospel when Satan was supposedly first bound, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's your that's your view, um, which of course is necessary for your for the post mill and right. mill view. It's necessary for you to understand it that way. Yeah, right. Um, <clears throat> let's see, because Revelation nineteen ends with the beast and the false prophet mm-hmm. being thrown into the lake of fire. Right. That's where Revelation nineteen ends. Um, and that's at the, after the Battle of Armageddon at the end of the church age, right? Well, if the millennium spans the entire church age, um, then Revelation 20 has to rewind the clock back to the beginning of the gospel, right? The mm-hmm. beginning of the church age. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's the case, the problem is, is that in Revelation 20.10, the beast and false prophet are already in the lake of fire. So... It, it, the sequence gets really messed up there. If that's the case, it's, it's crucial. Um, it's a crucial issue, you know, because the end of nineteen, the beast and false prophet thrown in the lake of fire. But in chapter twenty, they're already in the lake of fire. So it's, it's you can't really do the rewind hermeneutically for twenty to work in the amil post mill view, in my opinion, right? Because of that detail. Anyway. I know it's some random thoughts there, but um, I you know listen to what you said last week, and I really am coming at this with an open mind. I just want to know the truth, and as you and I both have talked about, right? That's our goal, and mm-hmm. so that's kind of a, a question I had. I, I thought your I thought your arguments on the first and second resurrection kind of being one resurrection. Well, the first resurrection being spiritual it makes sense. Um, the Matthew 25 argument you made about the sheep and the goat, goats being separate at the same time, that's a strong, strong argument. Um, I'm still not quite there, but I thought that was really good. 
Um, I know that as far as the pre-mill view goes, the Matthew 25 passage seems to have some trouble there. Uh, I know Wayne Grudem, yeah. who is, um, I think Wayne Grudem is historical pre-mill, but he's, he also wrote a systematic theology book. In fact, we're sitting here in Kevin's office and studio, and I'm looking at it, Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. But he talks about, his view is that the Matthew 25 separating the sheep and goats happens at the return of Christ at the beginning of the millennium. See who goes in the millennium and who doesn't, um, which I'm not sure I agree with that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Have you heard mm-hmm. that before? No, that's that's news to me. I, you know, on on that too, you know, like there's there's so much, like if you look at Romans 2 verse 5, I just want to read this real quick, because there just seems to be so much evidence that they happen simultaneous, but Paul says, because he's talking to the Jews, because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. Now, here's what's interesting, and back to that Luke, you used a passage out of Luke originally, is he calls this, Paul calls this the day of wrath, but at the same time, he says here, he'll he'll repay each one according to his works, eternal life to those who by persistence. So, on the day of wrath... Eternal life is is given, but in the Luke passage where it says it's a day of judgment, mm-hmm. right, or it, it says it's a day of rewards, it doesn't say anything about judgment. And I yeah. think if you if you take them all in harmony, it's like man, yeah. just theologically, yeah. it's a tough so argument. Here's a, here's a nitpicky issue with, with the Romans yeah. passage. Now, I remember reading this. I don't know if I I don't necessarily agree with this, mm-hmm. but um, I don't remember who was writing it. But he argued about that Romans two passage. How many of us are going to be considered righteous by our persistent? works. Yeah, and I think I think what it's talking about is I, I don't think he means that cuz Romans is all about, right? Um It is. It, imputed righteousness. It is, absolutely. And so that and so the point this author was making was that's a straw man. That that n- that'll be no one. On the day of wrath, no one will be counted righteous because it's based on works. If someone's perfect, yeah, they'll get eternal life, but that's an impossibility. I don't, like I said, I don't really agree with that. I don't think that was Paul's intent there. Yeah, I don't there, think that's his intent. But it, it brings back into the same conversation. Okay, so you, you know, ch- chuck that one. That there's two different. There's but a, let's the, yeah, let's say for just a second though, for argument's sake. Now let's let's say that that you 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 know if we, if we were doing a match here and we were going back and playing, you know, this is like table tennis. And we go back and we look at Satan being bound and we say, okay, the evidence is with the pre-mill guys, okay? But then let's say you come to the other side and you say, but the resurrections, right, are with the post and Amil guys' understanding. I don't know that there's any way to harmonize yeah, I know. Your, a timeline. Right. With both of those, does that does that make sense? Like it really, yeah. and that's why this issue is so difficult. It is. You it is. you may you may see the point of the other person and be like, I could be possibly convinced of that, but it really throws off the rest of, of this things. scenario. Yeah. Yep. You know, and just I was thinking about this because we've been talking about this a lot, kind of unexpectedly. I know I thought there was going to be a simple podcast series. <laughs> you know, and, like we've been inundated. It's been great. Everybody's listening yeah. to this, and which is so fun. It's yeah. great. But thinking a lot about this, and just in general. Um, the way the post mill and ah mill view scripture, mm-hmm. that's just kind of throwing me for a loop because, you know, like I, I just hermeneutically, I, 
and this is just me sharing from my heart here. This isn't like mm-hmm. me trying to score a point, right? Um, but I, I really, and I know you do too, but we really treasure and value the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And for me, beginning to go down this road where, oh, well, wait a minute, that's just figurative. That's just allegorical. That's just metaphorical. I've always been very scared and leery of going down that path mm-hmm. because I know that in other areas that can lead to trouble. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I've always been very resolved to translate, not translate, interpret the scriptures as literally as mm-hmm. I, as I can. And if it ends up not being literal, Hey, I don't mean to sound bad. But that's on God. You know yeah. what I mean? Cause I just want to take him at his word. Yeah. And so in this whole path, you know, and also, even though I don't agree with dispensational premillennialism, but in the last hundred years, just the dispensational premillennial movement was really a strong, um, a strong weapon against liberalism. Mm-hmm. You know, it really fought against liberalism hard. Um, so, but it's a more, it's a very literal reading of scripture as well. Again, I don't agree with the dispensational systematic theology, but. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's that's why I am I'm hesitant, you know, mm-hmm. to to really go down the road of oh well that's figurative, that's allegorical, that's metaphorical. Um, so my hermeneutic's always been I'm gonna take it at face value unless I have reason not to, you know. Now there's there's probably holes in the way I do that. You know, you mentioned yeah. like what you mentioned, Lamb of God, whatever. Yeah. Well, we well obviously we know the Lamb of God is Jesus. It's not yeah. a physical, literal Lamb. Right. So that was a great example, but. There's just there seems to be a lot of just changing in the way that I would normally read scripture mm-hmm. for me to acquiesce to a post or amen well, position. And, I know there's a lot of godly yeah. men that have who yeah. love Jesus who are in, believe the scriptures are inerrant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just that's where I'm wrestling. Yeah, with this. He's, right? he's Daniel is not calling me a liberal. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Not <laughs> in a million kidding. years. Yeah. So so and I would say outside of apocalyptic literature, outside of the Book of Revelation, you're going to be hard to find me not take anything. Yeah. You know, just at face. Revelation really throws, um, you know, it throws a wrench in the middle of like biblical interpretation for me, you know, and it's always been difficult. Um, It has been interesting. And I think that's probably why it's so interesting to to everybody, to people who are listening to the podcast. My goodness, Sunday night. Have you seen a Sunday night like that? Yeah, it was great. And we're up there just sharing the views. Um, So it has sparked a lot of interest. I think, too. Uh, our ability to hold it loosely has probably gained a bigger audience because neither one of us are super dogmatic about yeah, a right. position. Yeah, that's right. So, and, and we want to be that way too. Absolutely. Um, yep. Humble with it and yep. continue to be that way. And I, but at the same time, most people, whenever they do talk about it, a vein pops out in their neck. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and they, and they right. have trouble breathing. And neither yep. one of us are like that. So, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't. I don't know. You know, I'm going to keep reading and trying to understand God's word. And if there's definitely, if there's any, um, if there's a problem with God's word, it's me, not the word. Oh, right? absolutely. <laughs> so, amen and amen. Yeah. So whenever, and that's just a truism, you know, yeah. for any of us. Anytime we're studying scripture, and it seems like we've hit a contradiction. Yeah. The, the scriptures does not. It's contradict. not the Bible. It's us. Yeah. It's our lack of understanding. Like yeah. I encountered this. You know, a great example is um, well, the death of Judas Iscariot. Yeah. Right. You know, the Gospels say what about Judas's death? How did he yeah, die? He said he hung himself. Yep. And then you get to the book of Acts, and what yep. does it say happened? It says that he, you know, he fell he, he fell headlong and his guts burst out all over yeah, the ground. Yeah, that's right. And so, <laughs> wait a minute. Well, did he hang himself or right. did 
guts burst out. Which one is it? Yeah. Right? Well, you know, there's a very simple answer there. He hung himself on a tree right. over a cliff, and obviously the branch broke or something, and so his body fell and yeah. cursed flat. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty graphic. It's a good uh, harmony. Yeah, but you know, but yeah. there's. There's explanation. Sure. There is reason. You know, like mm-hmm. I remember I had to write a paper in seminary on harmonizing the denials of Peter. Mm. If you read all, all four gospels record the Peter's denial of Christ, you know, yeah. and we know according to each gospel, Peter denied Jesus three times. Yeah. Well, if you read the individual accounts, you can kind of come away with eight different scenarios, mm. you know, mm-hmm. like at one time he's behind the, he's beside the charcoal pit and he denies Jesus and a guard says something to him. Yeah. Another time he denies Jesus by the park charcoal pit and a young girl says something to him, mm. right? Mm. Well, you harmonize that. Well, he's by the charcoal pit. You know, Matthew remembers the guard saying something to him, right. but John recalls the girl saying something to him, but yeah. it's the same event. Mm-hmm. So. You harmonize that. It's called harmonization. Sure. It's where you take the different accounts and you bring, and that's really that's what we are all doing with yeah. eschatology. Sure, we're trying. You're you're trying to. I think this is kind of a summary, yep. um, high level view. But I think Amil and Postmill, they take the Gospels mm-hmm. and the the clear writings of end times teaching from Jesus, yep. Paul, and they try to harmonize Revelation twenty with that. You got it. I think pre-mill, we take Revelation 20 mm-hmm. because it does seem to be clear about millennium, and mm-hmm. we try to harmonize the rest of the teaching with that. Right. So it's it's kind of interesting. Which one's right? Which one's wrong? Not sure. Yeah. Um, well, and you know, something we've not really talked about, we haven't, I don't think we've spent any time on this, and we could, but it is interesting you bring that up because one of the reasons why, um, you know, your on post are, are want to do that so bad is because... We believe an early date to the book of Revelation, right? Yeah, we have not talked about We've that. We've not. And that is a huge And point. so if you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of them have the Olivet Discourse of Jesus. The only one that doesn't have the Olivet Discourse is John. Is John. Yeah. And so in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. But John doesn't say a word about it. And so you're on post. Those guys are going to believe that Revelation is actually talk. It's the it's John's Olivet Discourse given from yep. heaven yep. before the destruction of the temple. So I mean, it really does that, color that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I know that for for most of my um, study time, you know, from seminary, even before seminary, whatever. Whenever I read this, I've always read the late dating of Revelation. Yeah. John wrote it in 96 AD. It's on the island of Patmos, right? Yeah. Um, but there is some, you know. I don't know if it's more recent scholarship. It's probably been around a while, but like R.C. Sproul, mm-hmm. he really kind of made it popular. He wrote the book, mm-hmm. The Last Days According to, to Jesus, or yeah. is it Last Days According to That's Christ? That's it, to Jesus, yeah. G- yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, it's a, it's a good book. He's, he was, I think he was Amil when he wrote the book. Yep. Um, but he he puts a lot of evidence out there that possibly supports an early date, meaning yeah. that John writes Revelation before AD 70. Right. So that would really have an impact on mm-hmm. things because then you could say that all the stuff about the beast and false prophet, mm-hmm. all that would have been fulfilled with Rome. And, and Nero. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the seven years of tribulation or whatever. Yep. I mean, it just happens to come to 42 months. Yep. And if you go from 64 to 68 AD, 64 is when Nero burnt Rome and blamed it on Christians, and yep. his persecution lasted till he died in 68. Yep. Yeah, if it ever um, is, can be... I don't know how that would happen because you can't yeah. prove anything in history. But right. if it became where everyone just accepted Revelation was written before 70 AD, yeah, that's to a strong yeah. push for mm-hmm. on post-mill. Opposite is true, I think, too, though. If it's demonstrated without with clarity yep. that yep. Revelation was written post-70 AD, 
Yeah. I think that pre-mill is definitely the right way to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, we do. We need to dig into and that. We probably about do. The, yeah. The details of that, some mm-hmm. of the the statistics or the data, mm-hmm. the scientific, archaeological, whatever. Yeah. Um, that would be super telling. Yeah, we'll mm-hmm. dig into that here in a few, and maybe in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Good deal. Fantastic. All right. And the journey continues. <laughs> so, uh, you know, how long are we going to talk about in times? Because, I, I mean, I, there's so, we still haven't even talked like Daniel chapter 9, not even got, Matthew, not even Matthew 24. 24. Man, there's still some heavy stuff to look there at. There is. So, we still have a few weeks to go with this. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's good. It's fun. Yeah. Hey, we got till Jesus comes back, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which, interestingly, historical pre-mill is the only view that does not think that what's next is the return of Christ. What do you, what do you think is going to happen next? Well, we got to go through tribulation. Yeah. Yeah. But people are going through tribulation all over the world, man. They are, but not at the hand of the Antichrist. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good deal. Well, hey, if you have any comments, questions, just shoot them our way, info at canaanstl.org, and we will continue our conversation on eschatology next week. Until then, have a great week. We'll talk to you next time on Canaan STL Podcast.